From the American College of Financial Services, it's time for NextGen in 10. I'm Ross Riskin, chair of the NextGen Advisory Task Force, and for the next 10 minutes, you'll be joined by our hosts and guests discussing topics relevant to up-and-coming financial advisors. Hey, y'all. It's Alana Phillips with NextGen in 10, and we are here today with Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. She's a wealth psychology expert, author, and coach. Thanks for being here with me today, Kathleen. Thanks, Alana. I'm really excited to have this conversation and break money silence with you. I am too. I know our audience who are, you know, financial professionals of all sorts, next generation folks, this breaking money silence and the psychology of wealth has become such a prominent topic. So I know you have a podcast, you talk about this breaking money silence. Let's start there, Kathleen, with what is that silence that you're referring to? Sure, sure. I think when we think about breaking money silence, we need to think about those uncomfortable conversations that many of us have, whether we're advisors or whether we're actually the clients of advisors. And they tend to be conversations that relate more to the human side of finance, the emotions around money. So for instance, a salary negotiation or talking with an elderly parent about you know, their will or their trust or whatever it might be. And so when you look at the statistics, what you find is that almost half of Americans would rather talk about death, dying, or politics and not talk about money. So that money silence falls into that camp. The only other thing I will say is that you may be sitting out there as a next-gen advisor and go, I talk about money all the time. It's not just the dollars and cents. And each and every one of us, no matter how long we've been in this profession, you know, we're raised in a culture that has this money silence. So try to think about where are those pockets for you where it becomes harder to engage in these conversations. It is so interesting, Kathleen. And I think about this as you're talking in my own life, right? Times when I, I didn't know how much my parents made or I didn't talk to you know, my first husband about what we had in a bank account. And it was this weird dynamic that I hope it's better than what politics looks like right now, but it is a, a weird silence that we have. So how did you get into this specific sort of niche that you're in helping others to break that money silence? Well, I have been in the field of financial advising, training, coaching, and consulting for a long time. And I started to notice the disconnect between advisors who really say they want to talk about the human side of finance, especially around intergenerational wealth transfers, and then also talking to clients. So, you know, I do client events, I coach clients, and clients saying, well, my advisor doesn't offer that service. And so I got really curious about the disconnect because there was a desire on both sides to engage in these conversations. And I knew it was really tricky. In addition to that, I certainly am somebody who grew up talking about money, but only certain aspects of money and had some money silence in my relationships as well. So there's certainly a personal piece, but it was really that professional, how can I help us break this money silence? How can I help advisors and clients have the conversations that we've been talking about for 15 years that we want to have? So that's where it came from. I think about when I talk to financial professionals, there is still sort of this sense that the psychology behind money, the psychology behind a relationship with money is this woo-woo stuff, right? How do you help financial professionals or maybe even the clients realize that this is really detrimental in their relationships? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned woo-woo because I think one of the things that people will either know or not know about me is that I was actually a therapist for 15 years. So I worked 
as a licensed mental health counselor, and then transitioned into this field. I had some banking background as well. So basically, I've been in that woo-woo world, and I wasn't that woo-woo as it goes. But I think what has happened with the pandemic, and I think what's happened over time, and certainly I credit a lot of next-gen advisors with this, is there's been an awareness that clients want to engage in these conversations. Advisors want to engage in these conversations, and that it isn't woo-woo, it's necessary. And with the pandemic, I think it became very clear that there is a big connection between our money and our emotions. Now, we all knew it intellectually, but we've all just had an experience that taught us, wow, those are closely aligned. And when I am reaching out to advisors, what I'm finding is the advisors that were already comfortable talking about this human side of money or you know, we're interested in behavioral finance or client psychology, we're the ones that had stickier clients. And so I think the positive thing to come out of a very horrible situation is I really feel like the field is moving that way. And having been in it for 15, 20 years, I'm like, finally, finally, we're going to get here where we're talking more about it and valuing it just as much as we value all the other expertise that advisors have. Yeah, we are unfortunately a pretty slow to change industry, but I think conversations like this, Kathleen, and what you're doing help to move that needle a little bit. I'm thinking about the pandemic and, and what you're describing, right? This awareness of money and emotions. And I've been seeing a lot of articles and information lately on how, you know, there's folks coming out of the pandemic. Maybe they have some excess cash because they weren't traveling or they weren't going out with friends. And now there's this FOMO that they want to go out and do everything. They're spending money on travel. They're getting rid of apartments. Does that tie into, you know, some of the trends that you're seeing in emotions connecting to money and what you're talking about with financial professionals today? Yes. I think that's an interesting example. The idea that we had, you know, we're sitting on cash for some of us who are fortunate to be able to sit on cash and that we are almost, it's it, its almost like having being on a diet, right? So we've been so restrictive because we've had to restrict and not go out and not spend money. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're off the diet. And my background was in eating disorders. So basically if we starve ourselves, we tend to then have an equal binge on the other side. Anybody who's been on a diet can experience that. That I think is what psychologically is happening for a lot of us when it comes to having this restrictive spending, and then now thinking, where am I going to spend it? And so my caution would be for the next-gen advisor and for clients is to really try to not have too huge of a binge. You certainly want to reward yourself. Everybody's really been through a lot, but to really make sure that you think about that and be a little bit more mindful. But the psychology, it makes perfect sense that we'd want to you know, spend a lot of money right now. That's a great point, Kathleen. And we're going to stop there and be back in just a minute. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP. So Kathleen, I think that's so interesting, right? Pandemic is relevant. That totally makes sense to me, the binging and restriction and, and what we're coming off of here. Obviously, there have been other causes for clients not to talk about money or to do interesting things with their money in the past. What are some of those main causes that you see advisors having to deal with? The main cause is that we live in a society that has 
money shame and money talk shame. So our society actually believes for the most part that we should be quiet about money, that it's rude and unnecessary to talk about money. And so I think growing up with those messages for most, if not all of us really impacts our psyche. I also think that our family and how our family talked about money or didn't talk about money. Did we fight about money? Did we not fight about money? And that is really also a key influencer. So part of the work that I think next-gen advisors need to do for themselves as well as with their clients is really take a look at how has society impacted them? How have their family money messages impact their desire to talk about money? And in what ways does it provide challenges? And there's always strengths in the mix as well. So I really think those are the two big components that people need to start to examine for themselves. Yeah, I know we're going to talk a little bit in the future about how advisors can get better at drawing this out of clients, but I'm curious as you talk about this money shame, do you see any differences in generations in terms of their money shame and how it's different? Great question. Actually, money shame is an equal opportunity across generation phenomenon, and there's a variety of statistics to prove it. But with that said, What is exciting to me is when you look at millennials as a group, you will find that 71% of millennials believe that talking about money actually makes relationships healthier. So I am very optimistic that even though the money shame is there, that the next generation and next generation advisors are really committed to developing a roadmap for how do we talk about money? How do we talk about the emotional side? And how do we make sure that we end this money silence for good? I think that's so fun. And I'm really proud. I am a millennial that that's something that, you know, I think about, I was just listening to a podcast called the art of manliness and they were talking about factors that contribute to successful relationships. And it's like none of the the stuff that everybody thinks it is. It doesn't matter height or attractiveness or extroversion, introversion, but one of the pieces they talked about income, right? There is a level where, you know, if you're below the poverty line, it can affect it. But then there's some cliffs where if you're making, you know, $45,000, $75,000 there were cliffs that it just didn't matter. And the main thing is that conversation, right? It's the communication and a partnership about money, about your relationship to money, not the actual dollars and cents. No, this is, this can happen across different socioeconomic statuses. And you just, you know, referenced that particular study. I find that even with more wealth, it can be more complicated. And I also think it's extremely complicated for female breadwinners because there is still this belief, which is false, that women aren't interested in finance, that we somehow shouldn't be profit motivated. And at the same time, there's this push for us to be financially literate and take care of ourselves. So it's a very mixed message. And that not only impacts you know women, it also impacts women who are in partnership. So there's certainly a lot that needs to be talked about and worked through in terms of having those conversations and examining kind of what are the money messages that you receive? What are the ones that you buy into? And how do you start to let go of the ones that aren't serving you? Yeah, that's great. And I know we're going to continue the conversation about a few of those pieces, but to wrap up our initial discussion here, Kathleen, I think for advisors, financial professionals, we have to put things in terms of risk sometimes. So what is the the risk to financial advisors that don't want to incorporate this in their conversations with clients? I think they'll become irrelevant. 
I also believe if you look at statistics, like 70% of widows fire the couple's advisor in one year of, you know, the spouse dying. If you look at the, what is it? 90% of advisors lose the assets during a time of family transition. I think those all speak to that women in general, I don't want to stereotype, but in general, and the next generation are really looking for different things. It can't just be transactional. It really needs to focus on this emotional side along with, you know, the dollars and cents. And so I think the risk to somebody's book of business is huge, but also the flip side is there is a huge opportunity. And I see a lot of next-gen advisors doing this, and I'm excited about it, a huge opportunity to serve people better and to build a business that's really exciting and a little bit different than historically what's been done. It sounds exciting. And I don't think any of our uh, you know, financial professionals that are listening to this would ever want to be called irrelevant. So uh, there's your warning listeners of why you have to incorporate this into your conversations with clients. So Kathleen, for folks that want to find out more, where can they check out information? You want to go to my website at breakingmoneysilence.com and also check out my podcast. You can find it on that website, but any you know podcast app will do. And I would love to break money silence with you. We'll continue the conversation in our next episodes. Kathleen, stay with us. And thanks for being here with me today. Thank you. For more episodes, visit our website at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. This has been Next Gen in 10 brought to you by the American College of Financial Services.